welcome back to the this is the last the last episode for the year obviously of 2019 and we are doing the obligatory best films of 2019 list and we'll see if we can get into some personal favorite worst to list as well um yeah we're only doing this because it's obligatory i'm on record as absolutely hating coming up with these goddamn lists and people just are so on to lists people were publishing their lists online like a month ago and their lists for the decade and they just have these ready ready to to post i'm amazed by that god i have no idea what are the best films of the of, you know the last 20 years jesus christ but anyway the only list i've seen is like uh by accident in my whatever instagram feed is uh barack obama favorite huh. movies of 2019 wow well is, we have to hear what those are yeah i can yeah well i can get into that but but yeah but i don't think we should <laughs> probably lead with that let's not um, lead with it but we, we, gotta, right, we gotta get into that later let's first you know name and you know it's not like they're such surprising ones but name the one the ones that we we've seen that we think are are the best of the year are the best okay i still and Oops, hang, hang on one I, second let me okay, let me just make sure, my sure, dog sure. be quiet hang on of course dog you have to be quiet Okay, sorry. You'll have to cut that out. I hope you're cutting out all the times the dog goes crazy. <laughs> I, I always did, but this one, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I guess you could keep it in for local color, something like that. Um, okay, yeah. so. so for me, I, do, I, I let me start real quick because I'm actually yeah. almost surprised at myself. Okay. Um, I finally watched Irishman at home just on Netflix a few days ago. Uh-huh. And despite it definitely being the very like low energy old man film, I think I think it's it's really kind of magical at times. So I I would call it the best. Wow, the best! Oh, that is bold. See, I liked the Irishman, yeah. and I have a whole ready made mm-hmm. defense of the Irishman. But, yeah. but wow, the best is Not high best. praise. Yeah, but then okay, okay. I, I guess the, the, before I, I just watched it, and it was kind of sentimental because yeah. of how everyone is old, and you know, it's oh, like, exactly. It's very much the old man film. And, it's a very yeah. much like retirement kind of old man film. Mm-hmm. But Scorsese is still <laughs> immensely talented. But anyway, yeah, but yeah. I guess outside of that, I would obviously call Parasite, which is. Also, right. probably a lot of people would exactly would do that, and, and I know. enthusiastically agree. I would put that first, but a lot of you people would do that good. first. Yeah. Oh yeah, but Irishman. Let's talk. You know, we've already talked. Yeah, Parasite obviously is great. And, you know, hardly need to have argue that one. But but Irishman is really controversial. A lot of people think it's not a good film. What, so, what do people say in terms of like uh, outside of the whole digital? rejuvenation thing oh yeah well there's that there's the people who who are really up on like who read the Mm -hmm. book um by frank sheehan and just just know the era there's a lot of contesting on historical grounds a lot of arguing about how the certain casting choices are terrible oh Um, jimmy hoffa everyone talks about how jack nicholson was better as jimmy hoffa yeah al pacino doing the wackiest (laughs) Mm -hmm. (laughs) after the initial shock i do think Pacino's so inherently funny when he when he goes in that direction. I yeah. kind of enjoyed it, but yeah, it's 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 not really anything like Hoffa. They, it's just but somebody they're calling Hoffa. Hoffa. I really I haven't film? watched it, but you, you know, just okay. from what I know of Hoffa, uh-huh. he's not he's not Hoffa, but it's still funny. It's, yeah, <laughs> yeah, and he almost like I think like Joe Pesci and probably Al Pacino did the movie with most grace, considering their old age and all that. Because um, I think the hardest thing was for. Robert De Niro because he had to play a young man who's yeah. like kicking the shit out of people and yeah, he's really it's not intimidating. Very convincing, yeah, always. and and I have yeah. to say it still stays with me and it's like tragic comic when he's 
kind of supposedly breaking the hand of this like yeah. butcher or whatever or who, who is he baker mm-hmm. and he barely can, can like move his leg exactly. he's not intimidating no <laughs> no no that's exactly the scene where his old manness just comes through so loud and clear that you can't believe they didn't put a double in and yeah, go to would... for the long shot anyway. <laughs> yeah, um, why would they do that? He barely can move his hip. It's probably like arthritis or whatever. I know. <laughs> it was a mistake. Kind of <laughs> it was a mistake. Well, what did you think was mad- the magical parts? Because, you know, there are people who just won't admit there are any any good parts to it. Okay. I'll, I'll, okay. The magical part. First of all, I think it was like amazingly well written. And I looked mm-hmm. up and I didn't know much about this guy and I guess I'm supposed to Steve, Steve Zellian, Zellian mm-hmm. wrote the, the script all alone and I think it was like the dialogue is really great and um, but, but that's besides I guess the point because I didn't read the book so I don't know how I don't know like accurate the story is mm-hmm. um, but the movie itself I think it had all the kind of Scorsese touch which is magical mm-hmm. it has this kind of you know obviously he's very neat and everything is like super well choreographed which is sometimes annoying with this floating camera and stuff but but it does have this kind of warmth and i think he really is good with this specific subject that he's been milking his whole career with this sort of like gangsters with a heart of gold sometimes yeah <laughs> with some sort of principles but like brutal but all this contradictory stuff mm-hmm. and you know you know, you probably know way, way, way more than I do, but it seems like this is the same thing over and over again. But he does it here almost like you know, with <laughs> with so many years of experience. Absolutely, so. this is the geriatric return. That's what's so great. He had me instantly because the opening very long tracking shot into the nursing home Mm -hmm, (laughs) to -hmm. find elderly Frank Sheehan played by Robert De Niro is it's can't can't help but remind you of that popping with energy (laughs) drug fueled ecstatic tracking famous tracking shot in Goodfellas. Oh, the restaurant. And, yeah, when Ray yeah. Liotta, they mm-hmm. go in the back through the restaurant, you know, the club. Yeah. And it's so, yeah. such a high, such a cinematic high. And here you got the terrible, quakey, slow version of that shot. And it's such a Scorsese telling you, I'm, I'm an old man and I'm doing my old man gangster movie. And it's actually very moving in those terms. I have a very personal <laughs> reading for some reason it reminds me of my father so much as kind of a generational thing people coming out of world war ii and there was a certain type of masculinity that this Mm -hmm. movie captures so well and it's this my father was very much of this type he was very happy in the military and he and he and he was very i think he was at his happiest with an with authority over him and answering to authority and De Niro is such that guy. You know, they tell about his, you know, horrifyingly brutal wartime experiences where he has 400 days of combat, which is unheard of and all that. That's how he gets completely desensitized to any kind of violence. But it's all about him obeying orders to, like, brutally kill prisoners and stuff. And that he goes kind of hunting for his next boss when he meets the Pesci character. And Pesci gives, of course, the great performance in the film. He immediately is responding to him because he, he basically says, I can tell this guy owns something. I don't know what, but he's he's an owner. He's a boss figure. And so and then, of course, Hoffa's he attaches himself to Hoffa. He's always wants to be the guy who answers to the powerful guy. And then in the end, what's so especially brilliant is he he's lost all that. He's lost his whole gangster world. He's lost his family. He's lost everything. He's in the, the nursing home and he's. And he's talking to the priest as the next authority figure. God is the next authority figure. You know, he's trying to get himself into the spot where he's comfortable because he can't confess anything. He can't say he's sorry. He doesn't have, it seems like, 
at least he can't get in touch with any such emotions. But that's his instinctive move. It's just I now go on to the next and perhaps ultimate authority figure. And it was just so that generation, which is the the ha-ha greatest generation, which is, you know, anything but, where that kind of, there's something really touching and, and stunted about that. Like that, that love of just give me the boss, where's the boss figure so I can answer to them. So for me, I'm reading that the whole way through and then everyone else came out with a totally different reaction to it. And I was like, wow, I'm the only one <laughs> who thought, of, who thought of, it, of it in those terms anyway. Huh. Yeah, no, but uh, yeah, I guess I did find that type of, I don't know if it's historically, it was like steeped in history, but yeah, this type of masculinity was touching. And I guess watching it now also, it makes it even more sort of <laughs> kind of warm and sort of outdated <laughs> well because yeah because because sad but it's also like you know when he has that great line this and this is when it all something like and this is when it all went to shit so mm-hmm. this kind of inarticulate i can recognize everything's going south everything's going wrong but he's so never gained the habit of being an analytical or self-aware or a, you know too smart about historical forces he kind of can't know much more beyond somehow that's all tied together <laughs> All that, all that kowtowing, all those, you know, removed boss figures that you're listening because they're always from somewhere else. You know, the the, the top mafia people are always at a re- huge remove, right? The ones who really control everything, or the government, or the people behind the government. There's all these shadowy sources of power, and he's not even curious. He just wants to be able. To, he just seems to want to be able to answer to bosses. So it's just something about those two things go together. How everything went to shit historically and how everything's going to shit personally um, seems really well tied and I'd have to think more about it. But to me, uh, that was, that was all very moving, but yeah. It was also, I mean, I'm, I feel like, cause it's such a like long saga mm. and an old man film. It, it's one of the most like educational, I think of Scorsese films as well, because it's really tells like a historical you know, like story and gives you like 20 years worth of sort of like American history in one way or another. Right. Even, you know. Right. And I and I yeah. think it helps if you don't know that history in too much detail, because I've read so many screens uh-huh. of people just flipping out at the, the way. Well, That's at the way Hoffa is, you know, mm-hmm. somehow represented wrongly, you know, how so many things are wrong historically. And certainly mm-hmm. there's Boots Riley's comment isn't it isn't it ironic that just as there's a kind of a little movement arising to to revive the unions and build left power, you suddenly have another movie all about how about supposedly about union corruption. So that was yeah. his take. Interesting. Yeah, because I, I mean, I guess I, I obviously I'm too, too ignorant, I guess, to judge whether it's like completely accurate. But yeah, there was one thing if you take the warm like the, the fact that it's such a touching old mm. um, old man film <laughs> i mean there's something politically i guess bizarre and scorsese's been doing it all his career to mm-hmm. sort of glorify and humanize you know the <laughs> pretty brutal killers mm-hmm. and then to basically hear yeah to you know like I, I mean i guess it's true you know the unions were tied with mafia and the, and the unions were, were corrupt but to kind of show unions as this kind of gullible i don't know good for nothing workers who just like follow this charismatic leader. So basically, yeah, I guess from like a left wing perspective, it's not a very <laughs> ideologically 
Kind right. Of. I mean, t- to me, it seems clear he's always, yes, his heart is always with <laughs> the gangster figures, however however brutal. That that seems to me definite. But I've, I've certainly read people angry that people have read who liked the movie saying how anyone could think he's romanticizing gangsters. And it's like, I don't know why you'd say that, because they come to brutal ends, because it ends badly. Well, most people's lives end badly. Yeah. <laughs> Most people lose a lot or lose everything or, you know, I don't know. I, but at least it's that kind of Henry Hill logic. At least, you know, you're not one of the idiots. Um, at least you had a life. <laughs> you know, at least you you felt like you were engaged in, in big, visceral, um, uh, you know, things in your life as opposed to, you know, the plotting, uh, you know, the, the powerless plotting of most people. Yeah. It just no, seemed, I, yeah. Yeah. No, I actually would be surprised. Who would argue, of course? I saw a couple of times people just angrily saying, how could anyone believe this glorifies? And I'm like, why? Um, why? Because they have does. all those springing up <laughs> yeah. titles that are so funny saying this one got shot in the face yeah. <laughs> five times in 1979. That doesn't do it because yeah. the very popping quality of it um, just makes it seem like a more desirable life as bad as it is or as bad as it turns out to be yeah yeah and it is kind of like a <laughs> who doesn't identify with gangsters are we americans or what i mean that was the big problem of the gangster film in the 1930s it's one of the reasons they inst- instituted censorship it's because people identified so strongly with james cagney and um edgar, edgar, edward g robinson as the gangster and they decided that was dangerous and you're like well how how else are are people who are down and out in the early 30s going to identify <laughs> but with the guy who guns his way to the top um and you know it's fighting with cops and fighting with all the legitimate authority to get their own kind of success. I mean, who wouldn't identify with that? But they were appalled and they, you know, they they cleaned up the gangster film and they forced, um, what did they do? They did a really interesting thing where you had to have a, a star of equal power play a good guy. Like at the time, Pat O'Brien would be a priest to argue with Jimmy Cagney as the gangster. <laughs> so it, that way, you know, you'd at least have a, a good role model that you could identify with was the theory anyway. But they kind of ruined the gangster film a little bit through censorship. Yeah, but now, I mean, speaking of the, where you don't need any censorship, it seems very removed, that type of who would be inspired for it. Like, it's not a time necessarily for that type of, seems like. I don't know. That's not that can be a role model for anyone who even like. Well, it's not a literal role model, but I mean, like you take what? Um, uh, what's the name of Pacino's film? How am I blanking? You know, uh, Scarface. Scarface. Yeah, that's that's just got a huge yeah. following. What is it, Tony Montana? Yeah, he has for <laughs> has for many many years. People who strongly revere that figure. Okay, you know what? Now these days, it's called toxic masculinity. <laughs> that is no doubt true, and, and that is not in vogue, right? So um, that's, that's yesterday. <laughs> no, well, I'm just talking about you know we we always are. I mean, to me, the far more deplorable source of identification now for men is cops cop heroes are the rule of the day that's terrible that's really dangerous i think um i think that's far more dangerous than the gangster who at least is a figure that's romantically removed from the probabilities of your life you know it's you're very unlikely to be able to become a gangster at least for for so many people but you know any any idiot can join the police force because they think that's where the heroes are 
Um, yeah, so I mean, that seems intelligence of it, I guess, but probably you need to be. Yeah, so one of so these, one of these yeah. supposedly legitimate organizations of, of <laughs> law and order in our culture, and that's just been just disastrous because people worship cops now, and I, I, you have to think media has cooperated so thoroughly that that's part of it. But yeah, but you know, like um, speaking of the film in a formal way, I, <laughs> I just wonder what you think because I know this is gonna. Um, I don't know, is it incongruity or was it on purpose? Remember when the movie uh, starts and after this long tracking shot and the voiceover already, um, you know, started, keeps uh-huh. going. Uh, then the camera finally stops on De Niro's face mm-hmm. and uh, the lips not moving and the voiceover keeps going. And then all of a sudden he like catches the voiceover it starts talking so it becomes the sound sounds because sound becomes like diegetic or whatever mm-hmm. you call it and this was weirdly jarring i don't think i've ever actually seen anything like wow, that. wow and i don't remember that oh i'd have to watch but, it again I, you, you see what i mm-hmm. you remember overall the scene yeah. yeah that was so bizarre it's almost like which i guess it fits it's kind of matter so the story has been told mm-hmm. and then he's like starts moving his mouth finally right. <laughs> together with the voice and you join <laughs> yeah but he does it on camera uh-huh. he, he, you know yes i don't know that was somehow i even like i think rewinded it and watched it second time i was like why why is that and, and then I, I i mean i liked it but I, I i didn't know exactly what was the thinking behind it so right yeah, was, you- <laughs> there were people commenting on how what an unreliable narrator blah mm-hmm. blah blah you can't really take his account and of course the behind the scenes is that frank sheeran supposedly you know took a book deal because he needed the money and whatever and made up this story because uh-huh. it was more bankable i killed hoffa is a is a great <laughs> is a great bookseller um and that some in some cryptic ways scorsese was working this into the film i never would have thought that myself but Huh. Maybe, maybe that's a tricky meta way. It's doing something like that. Uh huh. Unreliable narrator. Interesting. I mean, yeah. I, most of it doesn't seem to play that way to me at all. But maybe, maybe I just mm-hmm. wasn't paying attention. I read that stuff afterward. Okay. Yeah. Um, well, you know, I I don't know either. But um, <laughs> but it, yeah, it was, was. I was just thrilled with you know that those kind of I don't remember that specific one, but you know, Scorsese's just such a bold. <laughs> formally bold filmmaker that as soon as it started I was just like ah <laughs> I've come home again to someone who knows how to use the medium it's so nice when that happens it's so rare when it happens it's very controlled right yes, so it's uh, like he has like 120 percent of control over mm-hmm. whatever's happening and I don't know but then what about the speaking of the formal stuff his uh, signature tracking shots that mm-hmm. are very well choreographed and all mm-hmm. that but like there's so many of them yeah. he's doing everything on some sort of dolly or crane or like <laughs> right, going up and down right. into your face and you're out uh-huh. <laughs> yeah. it, it was a bit <laughs> it started being despite I liked it it was so touching but it's kind of it was almost silly because like why would everything be shot Scorsese's endless tributes like, to himself you mean <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> my signature it, shot or something like that yeah but you know right there were very oh, there was like, a lot I don't of- know if I count like a lot and yeah. I wonder why wouldn't you want to keep it for special moments <laughs> <I'm> like, <"No." laughs> this is my last big film well it's interesting because because i think you could probably again i'm just winging it so i can't do it mm-hmm. off the top of my head but it does seem like you're right that that 
it's it's so I think it's somehow weaving into the kind of movie it is because there's an awful lot of moving around. You know, not only are you hopping back and forth in time all, all the time, but mm-hmm. there's you know the 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 whole the whole driving sequence of of Pesci and um, mm-hmm. De Niro's character and their wives on that road trip, and it goes on and on. It's flashing back to earlier scenes of him driving. There's all this movement, but at the same time. It has none of the. It has no end. Like we keep saying, it's, it seems very, very senior citizen. You know, there's this quality of. There's a lot of That's movement, energy, but it, yeah. it's it's slow. There's something slow and dragging um, about the movie that seems. I you know maybe I'm overreading, but it seems intentional. Like that's part of the vision. Yeah. Well, but it is if you, well, even though I keep saying oh, old man movie, low energy and all that, but then an old man is telling this story. So, yeah. And, and it's, it's very it's en- engrossing, <laughs> which isn't always true of an old man story. <laughs> but, <laughs> but at the same time, there's something, there's something labor, laboring about it. There's something that that's working hard, which I, which I like that they really gave it a very specific tone. I was totally engrossed in the whole thing. I did not have any trouble with the length or any of yeah. that. Well, I had to take a break because I was so I, I watched it in two days, but uh, but I was very much engrossed. I was mm. waiting for the, for the second uh, to finish watching. But um, but yeah, but when you say there's labor, you mean that there's no like lightness, like in his early films. Well, yeah, like there's no again. If you think of the the great drug fueled, <laughs> you know, wildly montaged, you know, coke fueled mad moments of. Uh, whether happy or falling apart moments of Goodfellas, for example, you yeah. can th- you can re- just remember the energy is is really being exhilarating. And here it's much more like there's all this stasis built in. He's after all, he's going to wind up where he started. He's going to be sitting by himself, you know, in a in a in a nursing home. And he's someone who wants to be able to go on. It's that that there's that very ending thing where he says something like. He doesn't want the door to be shut all the way. I just don't like doors to be shut all the way. Uh, and it seems like he, there's this desire. I want. He he knows it's a bad end to the story to be to be, to, to be ended here. He can't think any further ahead. He's, he doesn't have the emotions to be able to work. He certainly doesn't have a spiritual life, but he still wants something, some sort of ability to, to exit, to go on, to do whatever. And, he, and, and yet you realize he's not going to be able to, that this is the end of the line. Um, it just seems like there's, there's smart, there's something going on and I'd have to work it out, but it seems like formally it was so pronounced. It was such a, it was very, a very specific feeling film that I really liked that. And I'd have to just try to work out why he, he made those choices, but it definitely seems like there's something th- thematically important about it. Yeah. No, for me too, I guess I can't fully put my finger on it, but, um, yeah. And I definitely didn't understand trying to read it as literal history. That seemed weird to me, even though it intersects uh-huh. obviously with all of these yeah. you know, actual figures and actual events and all that jazz. That hardly seemed to be what the point would be. That just like, yes, here's a faithful history of what happened to Jimmy Hoffa. I mean, that's just crazy. Yeah, that would be, that's not Scorsese. I don't think he ever. Yeah, that doesn't seem like his thing. That would be like saying Hugo is really all about George Melies and it's a true (laughs) rendering. I just like, no, that just seems silly. Yeah. So yeah, well, I'm gr- glad. I, I somehow I'd had some weird impression that you'd seen it already and didn't like it, but no, 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 I, I don't know why I thought that. 
you know, my final set. But okay, the, just the last, last thought, despite all my praise. I mean, it, it did feel a bit like, um, you know, someone like, I don't know what would be a good matter for a comparison, uh, like Spinal Tap coming together after 25 years. Because <laughs> yeah, so, doing oh. a sort of like, you know, a little show, mm. <laughs> play and dance and whatever on stage. Yes. And it's sort of like, there's a lot of warmth <laughs> you attached. Oh, yeah. But then, but then there's like a bit of a sort of, yeah, sadness and it's kind of comic. But you try not to think too much oh, about that's, that. Oh, that's definitely better. Having Keitel there in the background, even though he's yeah. playing such a tiny role, but, you know, just like he's got to be he's there. there. <laughs> he's got to he's be there. there. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Getting the band back together is very important. You're right. <laughs> so that's kind of, I guess that's, that, that would be my person. Yeah, it's like, get, yeah. Yeah, old rock stars. Yeah, and then <laughs> again, this person he seems to seems to know this. He seems to be del- quite Aware. deliberately pointing to his self, himself, his legacy, the type of films he always did, yeah. the stars he, the actors he helped make stars. All of that stuff seems to be, and, that, and that's of course part of the point is too. Is it is it, yeah, is it his last film? Well. You can't help but wonder mm-hmm. if it's his farewell. Yeah, and 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 by the way, back to my <laughs> usual chart, I didn't see any sign of dementia here despite low energy and old man stuff it's he's definitely doesn't have any dementia so as you say it's very much aware of its own whatever right horrible oh, things i agree he doesn't it, this film doesn't make it, it seem like he's falling he's falling apart in that no, sad no, way no, no, it no. often happens because you know it's such a grueling grueling job directing if you're any kind of you know really engaged director and so yeah. often it's you when, as they age, you see films get weaker and weaker, but that didn't seem to be true, happening. True, but no, no signs of senility here. So. No. <laughs> no, that's true. <laughs> it's like, stamp. <laughs> yeah, um, shall we move on? Um, since yes, we let's. To, um, I'm just yeah. going well, to, I'll just quickly mm-hmm. read up. Mine is a very short list, list of ones I would call okay. kind of favorites anyway. Mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm. I mean, I got, you know, I, I enjoyed aspects of, of other films too, but I'm just listing the ones that I liked the best. Um, so I already said Parasite, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Um, twin. I'm cheating like many people are, including Twin Peaks The Return, which I thought was f- sensational. Um, Knives Out, I'm a big fan of. I really like Joker. I love John Wick Parabellum. Um, and I think that's it. I think that's my whole list, unless I'm forgetting something. With me, it's almost <laughs> even shorter. <laughs> <laughs> Remember okay, last well, year, our <laughs> list was four. We had four films. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so our episode is going to be like 25 minutes. No, just kidding. Um, yeah, so no, for me, yeah, it's definitely so Parasite, Irishman, and... Uh, disappearance of my mother this is weird documentary i think i mentioned last oh, yeah, time that's i was right. thinking more about it i, I uh, actually yeah it's weird movie doesn't matter documentary or not mm-hmm. um yeah i really uh, it's a must i stayed with me so i like that film wow that uh, is a very short list wow <laughs> that's it but i don't know i guess i haven't did I, have, I, I was supposed to watch more but i guess i did and then i obviously we can talk about the movies that we really hated and people still praise them right like, i don't know i think we should, let's least. save that mm-hmm. for the final because we're going to really want to get into it. <laughs> i yeah, mean yeah. I, I also would like to say that there's some that i that i just i got something out of i liked aspects of so like mm-hmm. i just saw dolomite is my name and, and it's very mm-hmm. it's a very kind of straightforward sweet film but it's really well done and eddie murphy is just a fabulous actor and he should have 
she, he should have a much bigger career as just an actor, actor, not a comedian. And I wish he would dedicate the rest of his life to it because he's so fantastic as this, as this amazing, you crazy. You mean as dramatic? Just as yeah, dramatic, dramatic parts, mm-hmm. dr- drama with comedy, whatever. But I mean, acting, acting, actual real roles. He's he's just sensational. Give him the right part. And I can re- I can still remember way back at Dreamgirls. I don't know if you watched the, 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 the film adaptation of that many years ago, but he played a supporting part in that. And I remember watching going, but he's great. He's better than anyone else in this film. He, he's, he's blowing them all off the screen and thinking, why doesn't he do this all the time? I don't know what his story is, but it's kind of a sad waste of talent. He could do, he could do a lot. So yeah, I highly recommend that. It would be a great companion piece to Ed, the film Ed Wood, which is perhaps um, Tim Burton's greatest film, mm-hmm. all about the director Ed Wood, who like this, 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 Guy who plays Dolomite, whose name is Rudy Ray Moore, real guy. You know, they're both these kind of you know figures that wound up making films. And, and Dol- the Dolomite character was starred in several really cheapy, cheap black exploitation films made by um, Moore. But they're uh-huh. both these stories of filmmakers who are doing like you know, Z budget indie filmmaking out of the sheer love and obsession that they have and how they wind up being appreciated by a much wider audience ultimately. But then, yeah, but Edward, we do have our, what Edward made, I think I even watched a few of his films, Plan 9, something like Plan yeah, 9. Yeah, Plan 9 about space he did. Yeah, but I do have to say, we do have <clears throat> Edwards now, what's this guy's name um, who made The Room? Wait, oh I, yeah, I what's his name? Him. I forget his name. Tommy... Uh, Tommy White, so, so we yeah, have, yeah. A, and he, you know, <laughs> he's very successful yeah. with shitty little film, and um, you know, and uh, God, who's who made the movie even about his film? Our favorite guy, God, right, can right. disaster. That would be also, you could do a triple feature. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so the the film it's it's almost like yeah, they imagined Edward making Plan Nine from Outer Space, and then um, Edward film is made about him. It just yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. Just, <laughs> uh, James Franco, that's right. James Franco even did like a tribute film, right? To right, Weiss, tribute so. film. Just right. just forgetting the name, but yeah. But uh, sorry to interrupt. But yeah, Edward, Edward is a great film though. Mm-hmm. It, yeah, it's, it's one of my so, favorite. So the. Um, uh, the Dolomite is a as as kind of well. It's not as good as that as a film, mm-hmm. but it 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 the section, especially when they're making the film, is it's so hilarious and and it captures all the exhilaration and the just the sheer harrowing hard work and disastrousness and precariousness of of doing it. I really brought tears to my eyes. It actually was like, oh yeah, that always happened. It was really, it was really well done in that way. And and again. You know, great performances, not just Eddie Eddie Murphy's, and and just really capturing something that I just feel hungry for this this idea of lurid thrills and excitement and entertainment because entertainment now there just almost isn't any entertainment. I just I go to movie after movie and I'm just like this is just fucking deadly. Why do we watch this stuff? Why do we like this stuff? This can't be entertaining anyone. No one. What is anyone getting out of this? You know, you really have to adopt kind of cruelly self punishing art house standards to like most of these things. I mean, marriage story. I don't think I'll ever get over that. I mean, not since I used to have to go to film festivals and watch millions of those movies have I been so just savagely angry <laughs> or a film is that one. But that will really stand as the kind of stuff people will put themselves through and then rave about. That thing's going to win awards. It's on a million ten best lists. I just fucking can't. I can't. I 
can't yeah. you people. I don't know how. I wonder if there should be some, you know, Stalinist Soviet like censorship of some kind. I don't know what censorship should be because it's not about the content per se or the form of it, but to preclude yeah. certain, certain works to be even made or seen. I no, know. I used to have a theory that there was some elaborate psychological experiment going on just to see how bad an awful an experience in, in the cinema you could force people into before they'd actually just say, I've had it. Because people will just sit willingly, happily, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> come out praising shit that you're like, seriously? It just, it really is a personal um, source of fury. I just hate it. Because the result seems to be this. It's, you're drowning in just films that are borderline unwatchable. It's yeah. horrifying. You know, I just recently rewatched um, Player, you know, they are Robert Altman's yeah, yeah. early 90s film, which mm-hmm. is whatever. It's like, I guess, witty and self-aware. But yeah, it, it kind of does cover the fact that, you know, it just if it's all this executives who took over from like real movie aficionados back, I don't know, when they took over, you, mm. you know, about 60s, 70s. Yeah, and since then, they, it's all just downhill from there because it's all about purely... And then I'm making money off some kind of sappy stories, right? Yeah, you've either got the dreck of, of the worst kind of commercial and genre mm-hmm. film, like the laziest, yeah. the dumbest, or you've got the dreck of, indie of already indie films, and they're... Ah, yeah. Ah, yeah, I guess this, this is, is like why we have such short films lists at yeah, the end of the year. Can't fully swallow the fact that yes, the indie films frequently worse. Oh, so often <laughs> the commercial ones that are supposed to be the worst of the worst, but no, <laughs> the indie can't go even lower. So despite, often because yeah. they're yeah, because again, there's no there's no spectacle. There's no, none of the genre thrills. There's no spe- There's no nothing that's supposed to appeal in a visceral way to you. So because it's all supposed to be elevating. It's also you're supposed to be sitting there going, oh, how true, how insightful. <laughs> It's all supposed to be through the filtered through the head because we have such contempt for the so-called body genres, things that actually do things to you viscerally. We think those are bad. So, yeah, so we wind up with just these god-awful punishing. Oh, I hate them. But, yeah, when, when we get into, you know, film, films, films that are showing up on other people's lists, uh, there's going to be a lot of those, like, really yeah. seriously. On the other hand, you can look at Cats, which I did oh, see. Oh, Cats. That was so scary. I only watched the trailer, oh, which man. I guess a lot of people mention how scary it looks, like a horror film. Yes, really. What just, do you say? Cause oh, it's so good. Well, the trailer is actually the best because you get the shock effect of how mm-hmm. wrong and awful <laughs> and and aborted the whole thing is in a in a kind of mainlined way. If you actually go to the whole movie, the movie itself is so boring. I had no idea how boring. Oh, you You've seen. Oh, okay. It's, it's just a killer, and I guess they. I I understand they actually added plot to try to bulk it up a little more because <laughs> really there's nothing happening except cats introduce themselves and sing about what kind of cats they are or whatever. <laughs> and they're in some sort of vague contest to, to, to win a trip to cat heaven or I don't know. It's so nothing. So it's just, it's just one thing after another of we're jellical cats. Don't even ask what jellical means. It's too boring to even tell, or I am a theater cat or I'm a railway cat. And then they'll just do an interminable fucking musical number. <laughs> it's like got 87 verses and 900 choruses and, and it just goes on and on. I, sw- I swear to God, I fell asleep twice in the theater <laughs> and woke up and, you know, I'd sleep for half an hour and wake up and the same song would be being sung. It was just 
cruel how boring it was. But yeah, oh yeah, horrible looking. And not even just the terrible CGI on these kind of humanoid cat bodies, which are all wrong. You're like, no, that would make sense on stage. There's a fascination with seeing actors in the flesh trying to represent cat behaviors in cat suits. I wouldn't say I would go, but you can understand. But it makes no sense when you go to CGI. Because then you're like, well, but... Now we're not seeing if an actor can can convey like in an acting class exercise the essential qualities of cats because you're you've, you've moved into an area where you don't need to do that. So what are you doing? And yeah, you got this horrible floating CGI faces of Idris Elba and Judy Dench and Rebel Wilson and Ian McKellen and all these people. But yeah, it's 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 so horrifying looking. There are sequences that just look am- like beyond amateur. There's this scene with dancing mice and cockroaches that's all CGI, and it's just atrocious <laughs> dancing looking. Dancing mice—that sounds interesting. Well, <laughs> but- <laughs> maybe maybe like we're we're I starting to-, to see some defiant <laughs> figures claiming to like cats. They're coming, yeah, going. Well, I-, I liked it. <laughs> okay, I don't know if I'm gonna see it after all you're telling. But speaking of dance- dancing CGI mm-hmm. um, cockroaches, um, do you know this film? Uh, it's like one of the best, no matter what year it is. Called Joe's Apartment. No. Oh no! Yes, I do. You, you dancing cockroaches. Yeah, it's a, that is right. Yes, New York. How do I and, know it though? But I know it. Yes. Well, it's the only film by that director whose name I don't remember because I don't think he ever did anything yeah yeah and it was like it really the movie i came out of the the gods it was really good really i heard amazing (laughs) so anyone whatever who cares best movies 2019 that was done i think in the 90s and uh it's it's an amazing film about new york i don't Mm want to spoil it but yeah it's about a young man moving into new york trying to find an apartment right right. and then it has he he becomes friends with cockroaches and the cockroaches are frequently CGI'd, but it's like done perfectly. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, and, and there's a lot of drama in that. And it's actually about early gentrification and all that. But it's done in a kind of musical, uh, sort of comedic way. Right. So there's which, a, which there is, is a the way. There's a way. There's a way. There's a way. But I don't know why. I, I know it's tangential to a conversation. But when I hear about dancing cockroaches, that's the movie I'm thinking. About. Right. Right. That's the that's the masterpiece of the that's that, the masterpiece. Of that subgenre. Yeah, how can you make dancing cockroaches in general? How can you make them into like characters who are compelling? And and that movie did succeed right. in doing that. Right. But yeah. <laughs> but anyway. Well, um, yeah. Now, you know, the best part of Cats is it's generated just mm-hmm. you know reams of you know hilarious commentary critics have all gone to towns you know smashing it and people have reviled it hilariously in various posts and, you know you know one of one of the really quotable lines is this is this film seems every every second this film seems about to turn into you know a furry orgy in a in a dumpster and it really is there's all this there's all this kind of low level but somehow blandly boring erotica with with you know them all nuzzling each other and rubbing each other and licking each other that it's just like it's not doing anything there but there it is <laughs> yeah yeah it's it's not well, good yeah well yeah, at least you know the only thing that they can say about the movies that are heavily cgi'd and all that and choreographed it's like at least people have job get or had jobs doing that right a lot it employed of, a lot many of people employed, <laughs> like full employment right <laughs> for <laughs> so tech people yeah that's right <laughs> that's all i can say because i know those unions are still pretty strong uh-huh. i don't know how oh, corrupt yeah. they are but they're strong uh-huh. so all right i think people are 
So in that way, there's the silver lining. Oh, there's an interesting like coda to this. It's been, it's such a disaster. It cost a hundred million or close to, and it's made almost nothing. It's doing terribly. And so the director tried to defend it and it got such a big, bad reaction when the previews first came out that he's he's tried to claim it's a political film and people aren't realizing. (laughs) And it's a film against what he calls tribalism, which is afflicting both the United States and the United Kingdom. And... It's because people are, are taking such extreme positions they won't they won't what allow acts of kindness to soften them toward people from other positions and they're, they're claiming that that's that's shown in the film when the 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 nice young newcomer cat brings the disgraced cat I forget her name Grizabella or something who sings Memory that terrible song that everyone sang for a long time um, brings her into the fold of the other cats. And it's that that is just such a bogus and insane and mushy-headed thing to say. You can't believe, but he actually gave interviews expressing this at length, and and claiming that he had talked to Andrew Lloyd Webber about it. You know about this being, the, you know the, the 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 important political theme of this work, which is so bogus and dumb, and clearly oh. trying to make to puff up your work so you can maybe you know make it into Oscar contention. <laughs> Which it hasn't, by the way. Universal has pulled it from Oscar consideration because they know it's not going to get any. So it didn't work, yeah. Tom Hooper, bogus director. I'm glad. To, I'm glad to say. What's his other big claim to fame? He did Les Miserables, which uh-huh, is also okay. a highly controversial mm-hmm. musical because he chose non-singers mainly, like Russell Crowe's in there belting it out and can't really sing and that kind of stuff. And he did The King's Speech, and he's I, there's a couple of other things. He's very successful. Mm-hmm. Which well, says nothing. It says nothing. Tells <laughs> us <laughs> <is> nothing. <laughs> uh, yeah, but yeah, but that's, <laughs> that's only in 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 the in a podcast. What is it? At a podcast called Film Suck. It says nothing, right? Yeah, right. <laughs> we'll the be the judge large. of whether he's worthy, and we say he's not. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But um, <laughs> by the cosmic, yeah. The standard says nothing. Yeah. Okay. So okay. Cats sucked. I don't know. I think you know what. I think we just like can't help it, but just only kind of go into the movies we hate and really like that are being meant. We're not going to go into like what are the directiest movies. That's boring. But like, what are the movies that are considered great that everyone's you know raving about and including on their lists? Yeah. Well, let's see. I don't know. It since it just came out, it's probably not all over people's list but what about little women i oh, know it is it's all it over just, people's lips like, just <laughs> morning so and and since i kind of well i'm not from this country but i i knew about little women like the book mm-hmm. but i think i never got into it and i only watched that 90s film with um with one you know, writer with the writer yeah. and everyone else but i kind of also vaguely remembered i don't know i never could fully connect to the sentiment of it and i know mm-hmm. probably a lot of women of a certain generation did uh-huh and I don't know, could you talk about, I guess, the significance of this book? Because I think, like, this movie is judged not as just a movie because it, it's such a significant topic and the book is so influential and blah, blah, blah. So it's sort of, like, intertwined with that. Yeah, right? it's a book that was a, a very much a classic and that girls read for many, many years. But but in recent years, last 20 or whatever, mm-hmm. it's gotten legs propped up under it as people studied Louisa May Alcott, the author, and found her yeah. super, super interesting. <laughs> and um, 
things like, you know, the family that she comes from, they were impoverished, but they were also, you know, fervent abolitionists. They were, you know, really kind of important people in New England for all their poverty, for taking stances that were very strong, um, considered strongly left wing um, for the time. So there's that. There's also just she's so interesting. She was very much the model of the main character, Joe. Um, she did have to support her family. Her father was incapable of making a living. She was supporting the family with her writing for years. Um, she, it, she wrote really lurid um works for a long time and claimed they were her favorite. She liked them better than what she called something like uh, moral pap for the young. <laughs> so there's kind of the scandal of we're not sure how much she even liked Little Women herself, even though it was this huge hit. And, you know, she kind of condemned her to write like that for the rest of her life. But she she wrote, for example, they discovered a book she wrote called, I think it's called A Long Fatal Love Chase. And it's a mm-hmm. kind of early take on, you know, spousal abuse and stalking. That got read very much in, in by feminist scholars as like, wow, this is this is quite the discovery in this kind of you know lurid you know material that would sell of you know dark and got kind of gothicy adventures. She actually did really interesting stories centered on that it could be read as oh these are actually looking at you know what it's like to be a woman in this particular in the, with the amazing horrifying constraints that women are living with in this society. So she's there's been all this fresh interest scholarly and otherwise. Um, um, in Louisa May Alcott, and then that's led to you know more adaptations of Little Women. I mean, I I was not a huge fan when I was a kid at all. The style didn't particularly appeal to me. I read it when I was a little older, and got interested in it. I'm mainly into into it because for class reasons, um, it's the story of a family that's you know stroke struggling shabby and filled with kind of class resentment the girls never have the clothes they want they're downwardly mobile um the father has lost all his money and is away fight at, you know in the war as an army chaplain so they're really um right on the on the edge and resenting it very much money 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 comes very much to the fore how did he lose the money? Well, she soft pedals it in the book. I forget. There's actually there's some reason that has to do with his virtue. He's very much a whitewashed figure, even though he's based on her father. He's, I think it was that he lent some friend money and that the friend you know, lost the money and that helped ruin. It was something that made him sound virtuous in real life. Her father was just, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. you know, a feckless kind of utopian dreamer. At one point he almost killed the family by, by getting them established out in a, in a far rural area on what was supposed to be a communal farm. Uh, The only thing the group forgot was to bring anyone who knew how to farm. So they literally almost starved to death one winter and had to be rescued by friends. So he really just could not, get practical and support the family. So they lived on handouts. It was a really ablated youth very much. So she's, she's taking elements of her own life, but in many cases making them nicer. So there's, for example, a famous scene in the film where Joe cuts off her hair and the only characteristic she has that's considered beautiful. She's not considered a pretty girl is her hair, but she has her hair cut off to give her mother money to go visit the father who's, he hasn't been wounded. I think he has pneumonia. She has to, you know, serving in the civil war. But in real life uh, that she got sick with, I think typhoid that she got nursing. She was a civil war nurse, Louisa Mialcott. And so she would take things that actually happened and then transmute them into a kind of more warm, (laughs) warm familial (laughs) incidents um, usually. But it's still, it's got this kind of harshness. People who who don't like it now 
hate it for what is regarded as its sentimentality. It's a sappy book, supposedly. Um, the, you know, the, the, the girls as they grow up are always worried about being good and all this other stuff. Um, but it has this harsh underpinnings to it with the war and their poverty that really has always appealed to me. And of course, it's the very qualities, I think, that get dropped out even though they're mentioned, but they are not dramatized well, I think, in The Little Women we've got here. So that's a, a lot of why I'm just sitting there going, you're barely indicating that the war is even happening or that it's having a big effect on the family or the community. And where's the poverty? This, there's this shabby, chic fashions they're wearing that are enviable. You know, they're very in, cool looking oh, and very, very modern, right? Very. There should be a fashion line in every department store <laughs> coming out soon. Um, it looks literally like on a woman's catalog where, you know, people where the models are all dressed, mock dressed for winter with these gorgeous, you know, rich tomato colored scarves and mustard colored socks. And they're all these, you know, coolly mix matched, mix and matched colors that are supposed to indicate poverty, I guess, but don't. So I just just sat there. That was just many things I hate about the film. I was with someone, though, who who was raised on that book, who read it many, many times, a Mm -hmm. friend of mine. And she was in a family of four daughters herself being raised by a single mother, and they really struggled. And so she identified like 100% with with the Mm -hmm. family situation. So she's seen all the little women and everything. And at the end, I didn't say anything. I wanted to see what she'd say before I said anything. And she stood up and looked at the screen and, and just said, Nope. <laughs> and that's when I knew, like, okay, I'm right. This this film, there's something wrong with this film. But you don't know it, so that's interesting, because you don't even have an investment in the book, which is, for us, a big deal. But I wonder also, like, from perspective of you, you you're a writer. Did you, and the book didn't touch you, it, but it actually, I guess, supposed to work. It's magic and exactly people, on exactly women, of course, sort of have this you know, <laughs> creative <laughs> inspirations and stuff. Well, yeah, all, all, if almost everyone, it's almost impossible to identify with anyone but Joe, and it makes sense because, you know, she's the one with the, uh, the flaming ambitions and she's the one who's in the most, what, in the most tension with trying to be a quote-unquote little woman according to the standards every day. So, so of course, it seems ahead of its time in some ways in that way because everyone loves Joe. Um, while yeah, some but of did the- you not? Like in terms of, so is the writing so sappy that even that- Oh no, I, not- I could get behind Joe. Joe, okay. Joe is, has, you know, gets into a lot of bad mood. She's got an unruly temper. She's she's gawky. She she doesn't fit the standards of beauty. She's She's got all of these things that are naturally gonna, gonna make you, mm-hmm. gonna make you like her. Um, but I just like that the film took seriously certain things that were insightful that like the heart one of the hardships of growing up if you were tight in any way or felt bound in any way to your siblings is that you're losing something you can never get back even though you see each other again especially she the, the little women does a great job in showing how they're all bound together in their imaginative worlds they're they're almost like a light version of the bronte sisters who and, hmm. and brother siblings I should say who lived in their imaginations when they were growing up and their their great the greatness of their writing comes right out of the way they could sustain their childhood fantasy worlds it, 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 with such discipline is because they've been doing it all their lives um, the, she captures and you know Alcott the the author is a big fan of the Bronte sisters it even gets a mention in this in this film um, so she really is good at capturing what that that 
in the book that Joe is just destroyed when her oldest sister is, is thinking of getting married because mm-hmm. it's going to break up the unity of the home and they've really turned their their lives together into for all their fight you know they bicker and they have all the, all these tensions but still there's a, a little a, a march girls world that is now never going to be able to be reassembled once it's broken up and of course you could make the argument that joe's success as a writer emerges directly out of the world they created together so that is done handled horribly in i think in greta gerwig's little women because she she chops up you know and there's getting a lot of commentary on this but it's all Mm -hmm. favorable they've chopped up the whole chronological structure of the book so it starts with joe first striking her first publishing deal and running with their skirts hiked up to her hips through a crowded downtown street which by the way would never ever have happened in a million years you would you people would have been running to try to save you from yourself because apparently you you were some sort of mad woman but you know they're 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 trying to do a a quote-unquote feminist version of little women here so they're constantly emphasizing the adult especially Joe and Amy's sisters um, to show their, their adulthood struggles. And, you know, anyone who loves little women tends to love first the childhood, you know, their child bound childhoods together. So if you keep hacking that up and going back and coming forward and going back and coming forward, you never get the sense of the importance of their lives together. Um, in a way that's moving. So all the emotional impact of, is just lost. I mean, even the death of Beth, which is supposed to destroy you. She's the, the little, of course, the sweetest one, um, the most supportive one, the humblest, the dearest one, of course, is going to be the one who dies. That's that's well in the tradition of like Dickens and everybody else. You always kill, kill the nicest, sweetest child. <laughs> and the movie do- kills her and it's barely makes a ripple. So many things that are vitally important to the story hardly touch one at all because it's just all mushed and sloshed together with oh now we flash forward and joe's back in new york and she's dancing wildly in a tavern now with Lori, and you're like bullshit she is again would never have happened you, they are in no way honoring how hard it would have been to be a to woman. socialize right yes mm-hmm. a respectable woman even if poor in that society at that time and yet it's supposed to be this feminist film all this you go girl pantsuit nation speeches getting made all the time women at this time you literally will have characters stop the whole movie to be like at this time women do not have the right to vote and cannot earn their own money easily and you're like what are you doing dramatize it show it don't have somebody announce it Ah! it is well but it's okay we need to get into i guess (laughs) greta garrick yeah to understand what's going yeah i think in her probably acting too and writing i don't know it's combined she's very much into this like fake sincere monologues of half crying women whether she's playing them herself or it's through her alter ego whatever oh good so you know her other works I don't I've avoided it like the plague she comes out of my night so of course I haven't seen her stuff (laughs) I know it very well and by the way I have to I have to tell you I was just kind of like almost amazed since I've just seen it this morning the movie at the um, uh, the closest movie theater to me is in downtown LA like Alamo Drafthouse doesn't matter but it's sort of like a hip movie theater 
And uh, before the screening, they took like uh, maybe like 10 extra minutes to do a tribute to just like Greta Gerwig. And uh, it wow. was basically <laughs> all her different movies, whether uh, where she was just an actor in it or a writer or writer co director, uh, snippets of it was shown. And the stuff, uh, like it was intertwined with like the title cards that were saying, like, we love Greta Gerwig for her perfect comedic timing. And then maybe like, three or more minutes of different examples of that. Then we'll have Greta Gerwig for her like genius writing, blah, blah. And I'm like, what is going on? Huh. So <laughs> I, I just want to, as a side note, say, I think there is this general consensus uh-huh. at the, I don't know, culture at large. And it seems like New York Times publishing stories about uh. her every week uh. <laughs> of different kind that this is, I don't know. This is oh. some kind of like genius level of, oh. I don't know, what writing, I guess, of what writing. Oh. So that, that's just a side note, how I think it's been viewed. And then her other work, I'm very familiar with, I don't know, I guess by accident, just because I did watch a few of the Mumblecore movies back in the day. Yeah. So I think that's how she started. And you were the one who like trashed the genre to begin with, right? <laughs> yeah, Multiple times. Multiple <laughs> yeah. times. Repeatedly. So that, I just hate it. Yeah, repeatedly. But that was her start. Um, and then, um, you know, I watched, I don't know, you, you've never even heard of those? Like uh, the most celebrated one. And I kind of liked it, Francis Hall. Oh, yeah. Of course, I've heard about it. I mean, everyone talks about, about it, it, but I haven't seen it. Yeah. That's the one co-written and directed by Noah Baumbach. Oh, Jesus Connection Christ. to Marriage Story. And I think they're they're either married or partners. So yeah, they're partners. They the just had a kid. I, I, I don't want to oh, know I this know. stuff. I just... Okay, okay. We're just going <laughs> to gossip. Just but I'm just purely talking about the, the creative part of it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, she's basically a mumblecore kind of diva yeah. turned into a mumblecore sort of writer right. slash director. And I mean, it sort of naturally progresses, I imagine. And sometimes, I, I mean, I like her acting sometimes because it sort of has this like sort of awkward sincerity mm-hmm. but um and sometimes it really works and there's like real charm there but then when it's <laughs> through channel through other <laughs> through mm-hmm. other people and should actually contain some sort of story and you know be engaging on multiple levels yeah that just <laughs> that just does not i don't think it's there but yeah but um but 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 your main concern was b- besides horrible inaccuracy and all that which probably wouldn't matter if it was like ima- if it was like super imaginative Right, like the yeah, act, well, the I think it matter. doesn't matter for most. I mean, it, it only matters for me because of my particular obsession. You know, some if you're obsessed mm-hmm. with the book or you have yeah. particular expectations, it's going to drive you. I mean, obviously, it's got like some huge rating on Rotten Tomatoes, like 95. percent Like everybody loves this fucking like fucking movie and thinks it's the greatest thing ever. And I'm just like baffled. I just how much you go girl, you know, <laughs> stuff can you stand? I mean, when she's like. Are you, you know, you, she's you know, facing down publishers in their domain, in a, a man's world, in their domain, you know, and all, oh, and, that, and the ending, the famous ending, where they bother to show you the romance of Joe and, and Professor Bear, who's supposed to be, I, I think he's middle-aged and pot-bellied, but he's like this, you know, cultivated, intellectual, affectionate guy that she meets in New York, and they wind up getting together in the end, and, and supposedly Alcott didn't particularly want to do that, but, you know, you had to marry off your heroine, so they, you 
you know, when they literalize it at the end, they have, but they've changed Professor Bear. He's now a young French hottie who, you know, looks like he was in a boy band or something when he was younger. And and that it just becomes ludicrous. And, but then you cut to, cut to her talking to her publisher and her publisher telling her that if you're going to sell this book, you have to, you have to marry her off. And she's like, okay, fine. And then you cut back and, and they reunite Joe with the Professor Bear character as if to say, even in the present day, you know, there's, we're kind of forced to marry off our heroine. And there's a lesson in that for all of us. And I'm just like, fuck you six times. I mean, I, and don't well, teach the lesson. Don't end it at all. Yeah. Don't include a ridiculous boy band, Professor Bear, in the first place. Don't marry her off. I mean, there's other ways. I don't know. Like, I do have to say, I said oh. around a bit about the, the creation of that. Um, it seems that uh, Grata was saying she sort of used for the film, for the script, not just the little women, which definitely is not fully even accurate to the book, but mm-hmm. just uh, Lu- Louisa May-, May Alcott's letters and different diaries or whatever. Oh, she yeah, she's clearly get, get pulling elements of <laughs> Louisa May Alcott. So, so what the, you're saying about yeah. the lesson, I don't think it's even a lesson. I guess it was supposed to just show the... Uh, I don't know. You know, it's like Joe becomes literally Louisa May Alcott. You know, and then it's sort of a meta. Yeah, she melts them together. And then it's sort of, I guess, a meta commentary on those times. So, yeah, which is still super literal. But, yeah, but what I don't know. I guess I wish she'd had Hillary Clinton come on at the end and explain the scene. I think that would have been perfect. Or maybe Ruth Bader Ginsburg. I just, I hate this stuff. Will Will this era never end? This kind of full feminist. What are what the fuck are you doing? I know, but Quality. then what are you like? There were so many. I agree with you since it was a lot of not showing, but telling mm. and telling again and telling again and one more time just in case. So they were constantly having either monologues or mm. a bit of dialogues about marriage and economics of it and women and blah 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 and love. But then I mean, it's sort of. I mean, I don't know. I guess it, it's supposed to show the uh, kind of in a more contemporary way the relevance <laughs> of that during those times. But then I don't know. It's probably still relevant to some degree now. But then I don't know. So but it you, isn't. You, you, I mean, that's mm-hmm. just the, the sad fact that's of the it. Thing. But, you know, audiences they don't know and they and they mm-hmm. don't care. And ultimately, what can you say? Why should you? You know, I, I sat there. At the, I have to admit, going, yeah. you know, Eileen, you're the only one who's obsessed with the Civil War setting, which actually is very much held. It frames the narrative of the book, but it's mm-hmm. kind of held to the margins in many ways if you're not conscious of it. I love that. I mean, if you see the 1933 version, which I know is laughable, none of you have, none of you will, nobody cares, with Catherine Hepburn, it it immediately gets the importance of the Civil War. The first scene is all about the Civil War. And why is it important? Because it's going to, it's going to be about dedication and people self-sacrifice to a higher cause and mm-hmm. setting such hugely high standards for yourself, you know, morally, ethically, all of these things that people, many people anyway, took quite seriously in the 19th century, that it, that it forms a kind of backdrop for all the striving of the girls and the attempts by the mother to educate them in a very harsh school of giving and self-sacrifice. There's this whole important scene where they have to give away their Christmas breakfast. Gerwig treats it like you or I are giving away, you know, our fucking bagel. <laughs> and we're just going to go get another one. So who the fuck cares? The whole point in the in the story is they're giving up the only lavish breakfast they're going to get that year. 
because there's all this, they're poor, they, you know, they're eating sparingly, their clothes are shabby, the where they live is not nice. All of that stuff is happening. They get this one Christmas breakfast and their mother persuades them that they have to give it away to an even poorer family, the Hummels. This is the only adaptation I've ever seen where that is treated negligibly, just like, nah. And then two minutes later, they get a, a cartoonishly huge feast from the rich guy, you know, the rich neighbor. And so it doesn't matter. It's just made to not matter. But it's you know, so much of this is like these are girls being raised in a tough school, you know, not just because the society is like that. And it's hard. It's harsh on everyone, but it's quite harsh on women in particular ways. There's on top of this, the standards being the wartime standards being set, all of the stuff that I'm interested in, you know, fuck it. Nobody's interested. Yeah, it in. wasn't there. I think I, you, you put it now you gave me a new perspective. You're right. Like the whole struggle there oh. is you just treat it, like look at it impressionistically and just take the aesthetic cues from it. It's almost just like the whole struggle as some kind of like young artists in New it's York. It's all about that. <laughs> no? They even make you know? Meg an aspiring actor and the yeah, supposedly yeah, the reason Joe, Joe's so upset is that she's getting married is because she's now not going to become an actor the way Joe's going to become a writer and Amy's going to become an artist. And you're like, that's not in the book. Meg is, is transforming herself into some, she wants a domestic life. So you're just like going, what are you doing? But, you know, again, it's this faux feminist bullshit. They've all got to aspire to something, a profession or a high arts world outside of the home or other than Beth, of course. And they ruin yeah. the death of Beth. Oh, <laughs> don't get me started. <laughs> <sighs> all right. And, you know, well, no, you can you can talk about it all you want because I I won't you know I, I won't even be able to dissect it because I don't know well uh, yeah, what well, was I, good about it oh, in the I've, book. I've or... counted away. I don't know. <laughs> Again, yeah, right. I realize it's like me, my friend Sue. There's like certain people who are going to care, but the vast majority could not fucking care less. It's just like it's uh, it's just a fun story your, of yeah. Of, but you then know, I wonder what's your kind of reading of okay, all right, like um, you know why you sort of completely yeah, have to like fully reject it and why it sucks. Mm. But then why do people? Is it like the younger who, who falls for it? Why it's so celebrated? Everyone like, has so far. Everyone. Every, every critic, every, all the audience members, everyone loves mm -hmm. it. Everyone loves it. Why they love it, I'm it, mystified. Do you think it's because it has this kind of like um, sort of fuzzy, like pink glasses kind of quality, right? Because it sort of makes everything very... As you say, there's now almost civil war there, or very, very much in the background. It's just all sort of very much like a kind of mumblecore mumbo jumbo well except so greatly <laughs> richly colored mostly and beautiful yeah yeah all the houses the insides of their house are beautiful everything's beautiful and it's yeah it's just it's i really think it's that you go girl stuff that people really love okay. girl boss kind you know of like that, disney that movies movie. pull it off in the same yeah. way and everyone loves it oh she's so I have to say, even the poor hamill family the little house yeah. was so charming it looked and awfully kids, good didn't it i was, I was thinking oh, the same like, thing it's all of charles dickens but so Sort of like in the kind of elevated yeah. everyone's like skinny and beautiful with beautiful skin yeah and they want a little piece of bread yeah and nothing is allowed to look bad <laughs> nothing nothing yeah i know nothing I know. and it's like how come it, but i know that's banal and i guess it's brought up in any moment but i think it's important as a it. film but yeah, but what yeah. about like everyone has great teeth? Doesn't matter if, <laughs> even if they're in their forties or fifties. I'm like, come on! No, everyone like, looks. Do it right. Yeah, <laughs> do everyone, it right. Everyone's looking fab. <laughs> I mean, literally, when Professor Bear shows up and the Hannah, the housekeeper, you know, and family mainstay says, "Oh, he's so handsome," and I'm just like, "What is? What is fucking happening?" 
the idea that Joe would go out and get herself a, a version of like a French male model. <laughs> it's just, ah! I just, I couldn't believe it. And I'm the only, you know, me and my friend are the only ones in the theater going, what in the fucking house is happening? But it, the, whole, the whole movie is perfect. It's, it could be on the CW. It's it's perfect for a what kind of- What is CW? Of, uh, you know, the uh, the one that has like Nancy Drew and, the, the, you know, the- Oh, all right, all right, all right it. It's all very poppy colors and- fun and girls having girl power and uh yeah and and kind of non-stop motion really plotty so all that leaping around make sure you never linger over anything it's just moving 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 the whole time and well i don't know i guess it's inspiring for the new like young clintonite Uh, it's certainly how it struck me yeah kind of perfect kind of perfect in that sick awful way and having Meryl Streep there to bless it all as Aunt March oh I completely Yay! forgot about that oh your favorite one my favorite well, my favorite but she was the one who was like spewing all the moral pap talk or whatever what well was. she was supposed to be the she mean kind of one Aunt March is supposed to be the yeah. mean horror show rich aunt who's stingy won't give her impoverished relatives hardly anything you know, makes Joe's life miserable, then, you know, promises her a trip to Europe and, and, you know, because they all have to work. That's another thing you really emphasize in other versions and in the book. All the girls have to work other than Beth, who's too frail, and Amy, who's stuck at school. But at home, there's just constant labor going on Mm -hmm. because they're poor. And so Joe has to work as a companion to her hated, you know, Aunt March, who always just says those awful things to everybody. You know, Joe, you're just hopeless, you know, basically all the time. And somebody better marry well. And they do kind of do that. They do a version of, of the real, the, the way she's not, portrayed the book. There's not much labor shown and it doesn't feel like a drudgery and no one really is mean enough. And it's all sort of like, it's not like mean spirited ever. <laughs> yeah. No, it's, 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 there's a, such a soft, there's no edge. There's no edge on it, which is another thing I think people really like. Well, I'll tell you this, uh, from my like engagement with Greta Gerwig's mm. like movies and stuff, there's no edge there as well. <laughs> oh, yeah. You know, I think so that I think that's, you know, that's, there's cool, a direct connection. I mm. mean, I didn't see Lady Bird. People were raving about that. Oh yeah. And there's no edge on that one either. <laughs> there's nothing. Is, is it at least it's funny? Like um, I mean, there are like a few funny moments for sure, but most of it, I was like completely surprised. What's, what is it? What's the heroine? heroine what's the main character is about? What mm-hmm. is Because she's sort of supposed to, um, you know, be like an outsider and a standoffish and like she aspires, I guess, to something. It's never clear to what. Mm-hmm. It's never clear what's so special about her outside of the fact that, I don't know, she like probably doesn't want to run with the, uh, I don't know, the clique of the popular mm. people at school or something like that. But it's something, uh, I, there's nothing really, there's nothing really there outside of the fact that she wants to get out of Sacramento. Mm. And uh, even as a, there's no edge to the character, really, as you would ask, you know, like, I guess there's sort of quirky. The only quirky thing I can remember that she wanted to be called instead of her normal name is Lady Bird. And that's that's pretty much it. And by the end of the film, when she's finally moved to New York, mm. she's kind of ready to be called her, I forgot what it was, the name, Christina or something, her normal name again. And she gives up the moniker. Uh. And that's pretty much it. Huh. I mean, I, I know it sounds like super boring because it is. <laughs> It's like what? What? I don't know. Huh? Yeah. Oh, all right. No. Yeah, I don't know. But then I don't know what you heard about it. I guess it was supposed to portray some sort of again, uh, a somewhat um, middle class, uh, like middle class or lower middle class, whatever it is meant by Sacramento standards family, uh-huh. where you know you sort of a bit not 
uh, on par with everyone else around and you have to strive to like uh, be able huh. to get a scholarship to college but somehow it all again lacks any kind of real edge mm-hmm. and I, I don't know why it's just I guess the treatment of it Hmm. So, yeah. All right. So you're I'm not, not going to rush it. out to see that. No, no, <laughs> you're not missing. But then a lot of a lot of people really liked it. Actually. Oh yeah, actually, I remember. I've heard a lot. You know, we should, we should go far into that. But I've heard frequently from like doesn't matter men or, or women how much they liked and relate to it. And I don't know what if if you come from American suburbia and you have a certain age, whatever thirties. Mm-hmm. What if this is. Who knows? What if this is <laughs> somehow your your story issue to that? Yeah, because. What do I know? Well, we need we need to bring on we need to find a guest who can be the counterpoint. Mm-hmm. We need someone who can come in and and loves all the movies that we tend to, to hate, and then they can explain to us. I actually would be interested. Like, what's the appeal? Okay, but then you almost talk about because it's sort of a wider like a, wide, a very wide question. But mm-hmm. I guess at least someone who likes sort of mumblecore things. Mm-hmm. You mean that, right? Yeah. Yeah, I had one encounter once with a student. In fact, I first watched a Mumblecore movie because he told me about it way long ago, of course, because, you know, it went back to mm-hmm. 2002 and this was a year or so later. And I hadn't been going to film festivals and it was mainly a film festival thing. So I didn't know anything about it. And he was like, have you heard about this? And I said, no. And so he described it to me and he, and he sort of, I still couldn't get it. And then he gave it to me and I watched it. And I'm trying to remember the name of, shoot, what was it? It was like a prominent one too. Uh, mutual Appreciation. That was what it was oh, called. Oh, I never watched it. Oh, All right. don't. Anyway, I just hated it. It was it was everything I hate in one package. It's 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 you know what middle to upper class white people who can't who can't get it together. It's supposed to be you know the lives of lowered expectation, but they personally can't get anything together. And I guess it's because that's just the blight on their generation. Oh, Andrew Bujalski. Yeah, he even came to Hunter, I think, to give like a yeah, talk. Like, he's considered know, what, the godfather of the forum. He's the, he's he's the big the, guy. Yeah, the grandfather. Yeah. yeah. So, so, but it's, it's people like who, who sort of half-heartedly start a band and then stop and you know start yeah. an art project but it never really goes and then they just stop everything is just low energy you know you talk random about the theme the theme of the well, movies, yeah just, right? but just he actually has a career you know the, <laughs> yeah but he has the, th- the thing though he is persistent despite the kind of he himself well, has exactly. a career presumably he's not living the life <laughs> of no. what he's portraying and i hated no. it so much and i went back to the student and i was trying to be nice and i just was trying to say well what what's supposed to be coming across i mean are, are we supposed to be charmed by these people? Are we supposed to be identified? Because I thought, well, maybe I'm not getting it. Maybe it's like a really savage satire of a generation. And I just, no, I think not it's getting more it. of a reflection. And no, I don't that's what he said. He said, no, really, we yeah. all identify. That's us. And yeah, yeah. Well, you find them totally charming. They're like your friends. And I was just appalled. I was stupid. I didn't want to say it. He was a nice kid. And I didn't want to say it. I was just like, what? You just want to, you just want to be the opposite of that. The whole effect on me was, Thank God I am not that, and to the extent that I can struggle, I will be as far from that as I can ever be. I mean, can't articulate, can't finish a sentence, can't commit to, you know, what you're going to do the next minute. Just this kind of wambly, oh, just, oh, I hated it so yeah, much. Yeah, but this is, Duralysis is like a huge, I mean, I, mean, I don't want to like inflate the the influence mm-hmm. <laughs> this type of thing had on the culture at large, but I think someone like Lena Dunham came out of it. There's like a lot of even bigger mainstream characters yeah. who were, and uh, Greta Gerwig, speaking of which. So, mm-hmm. um, what is it? Duplass Brothers, it's all connected. So, yeah. It seems like there's clearly place for that. And I don't know, what if 
I don't sometimes finish sentences, I hope, <laughs> but I hope <laughs> it doesn't come off as a mumblecore. But yeah, but... Well, and I, I described know, they, it to John Dole, our yeah. friend John Dole in the Warner, and, and I said, well, what does this sound like to you? Does this make sense? This is yeah. a whole phenomenon. I was reading up uh-huh. on it and everything. Like, well, I, I have a, you know, a kind of tidy, vulgar Marxist explanation for that one. As the big squeeze is happening economically, this is a way to, to sort of um, argue for your, that you still have some sort of cultural superiority. This is the, all these t- precious twee little stances and stuff. This is, this is about showing how you still have more value <laughs> than others. And I was like, it does have huh. that quality. This is kind of smug self-love huh. at least you in mean, that like one john john said that about this sort of yeah, like he was he hadn't even seen it of people he was just me oh. describing what it was like and him going well this is my best guess interesting because it's sort of like underachievers over you feel overeducated or too good right for things but you can't to get a work job at them. of course that that yeah, would be yeah, fine yeah. that part you know but so you hang, but you know nobody seems really in desperate straits. So they kind of hang around. And again, okay, they do half-hearted creative projects that don't come to fruition. And, and they have some talent, but probably not not much. too noticeable. <laughs> not too and, they, noticeable. and they sort of half-heartedly start sort of relationships, but they aren't really. And then they just sort of drift apart. And again, they literally don't finish sentences. And there's a lot of mumbling. And you know, you're just like, yeah. I just hate you all. I hate it. I hate it. Yeah, but that sounds, you know what, it does sound like older millennial, gender, whatever, or not older, everyone's older, who a millennial at this point, I'm a millennial. But uh, yeah, it sounds like American millennials very much so. So I think it's true to some sort of like liberal, arts educated, semi-privileged, but not really downwardly mobile yeah. people. So I, I, I'm not trying to defend it, but just even No, no I mean, to that's part of the rhetoric when this, you read up on so it. There's something there. Yes. People saying, we're shooting in our own apartments. We're starring our own boyfriends, girlfriends. <laughs> yeah. we're, it's us. We're playing ourselves. We're making up the yeah, lines then, sometimes. All that. You're, you're right. I think the biggest thing, I guess, if you're like, oh, if there's some kind of satirical take on it, mm. but no, no. And then, and then that's that's where the problem lies too. Yeah, it's not even awfully, At least what I saw, and I, I think I started one other, and I was like, I can't. I'm going to have a stroke. I'm so mad. Um, but yeah, yeah it's no, it's all sincere. It's all it's very sincere like and, and oddly self congratulatory. <laughs> I just hate it. God, I just hate it. And also not really anyway. fully aware of the forces at large, right? Because since it's so self-involved, it's sort of only tangentially comments, I guess, on the oh, moment. Oh, God, no. I mean, the, the opposite so sort of, of just, anyone mm-hmm. getting getting aware of what's going to larger forces yeah. in your society and maybe thinking about doing it. It's the dead opposite of that. <laughs> oh, God. I wonder, like, how someone like, I don't know, Boots Riley would read it because this is, you know, yeah, <laughs> yeah. there should be some sort of smart criticism of that. Yeah, um, there, there probably is. But then I'd have to take an interest again and yeah. I, I can't face it. <laughs> yeah, but I like what, I like how John put it. That's right. It's almost like reclaiming your uh, superiority. Yeah, you got to have, have status based somehow. on something. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, and be still full of yourself, even. And if you have yeah. no money and right, no, right, right. <laughs> no acclaim and whatever, <laughs> well, you don't even have a job. Well, all right. Let's hear, let's hear <laughs> okay. the Barack Obama list because we wanted to talk oh, about oh, the you're films. Right that- okay. Um, I feel like, okay, I can read it. And to my shame, I don't even know all of the movies okay. there. You might. I probably but won't I, I think it's... God, why even... How is Barack Obama even relevant to this? But since I, like, started <laughs> since with you this, found I have Because <laughs> I already mentioned it, so now I have to read it. Okay, so his favorite movies of 2019 mm. is American Factory. Uh-huh. Oh, by the way, it's a, it's a good... It's a documentary. Yeah, but, I've heard about but, it. <laughs> American Factory, Amazing Grace, Apollo 11, Ashes Purest White, Atlantics, Birds of Passage, uh-huh. Booksmart, Diane, The Farewell... 
Ford versus Ferrari, The Irishman, uh, Just Mercy, <laughs> The Last Black Man in San Francisco, uh-huh. Little Women. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. You've seen it already, huh? Yeah. It's been just only like a few days it's been out. Okay, Marriage Story, uh-huh. Parasite, The Souvenir, and Transit. And then also the shows that he really he says that I considered as powerful as movies. Mm-hmm. Fleabag Season 2, Unbelievable, <laughs> and Watchmen. And watch okay, this is it. Well, it's all right. It didn't take that much time. Wow, okay. Yeah, so uh, this is his list. But that's pretty usual suspects. Of the ones that I haven't mm-hmm. seen, you know, yeah. they're there. Those ones. Transits. Um, um, the one you just said. American Factory. Everyone listed. You know, yeah. That's that's very usual suspects, that list. Yeah. That's true. Well, so that that, that is his list. But should we, um, while we're on it, should we talk... I feel like we know what we did talk about Parasite already, maybe even a few times because I watched it in Moscow first and then a while back you watched it. And it's, you know, what what can you really add? It's also hard to say too many good things. It's always easier to to say bad things. (laughs) um, (laughs) So I don't do have any kind of... Well, it's just such a... To me, it was just such a, a painfully, and, that, and by that I mean insightfully realized examination of what it is to be <laughs> L- lower class, making your move, making your move to rise, and the things that that happen, the, the terribly cruel situation where <laughs> there's mm-hmm. no good way to do this, and ultimately it's going to turn out you can't do it. <laughs> it's it's almost impossible to like rise the way we're talking. You know, they, it's a Lower, a very, very lower class family living in a slum, trying mm-hmm. to get their chance to be like basically the, you know, the servants, the tutors, the whatever of a rich family, and then they, you know, think they're going to infiltrate this rich family's world and sort of find their own way to a life in the sun. And of course, it's it's just a matter of time before it all goes wrong. You know, it's going to go wrong. It even gets said by the the hapless father, wonderfully played by Song Kang Ho, who's such a great actor. Um, basically saying the best plan is no plan and the implication is because nothing, no plan ever works <laughs> and, and, and you know it's going to end in disaster I'm giving away nothing if you haven't seen it you, you're just waiting for what's the cruel way and it's just psychologically insightful I mean I've certainly read things that say look it's so particular to South Korean culture that if you're not you can't really get it and I'm sure I'm sure that's right but it's it's also smart enough just in terms of mm-hmm. class that there's so much that's painfully, painfully recognizable. You know, I was told by a friend actually speaking of the, the, this uh, perception, um, you know, that we, whatever, that we can't fully appreciate being non-Koreans, that um, she was watching the movie in New York and there were, um, uh, I don't know, a big group of, uh, I don't know, I assume, I guess, Korean, mm-hmm. uh, Korean people, and they were laughing at where, or, Reacting somehow to mm-hmm. the to the film when no one right when no one else English speaking war even though they, they everyone loved it and mm-hmm. the English speakers loved it but so clearly there's some kind of extra oh I'm sure level yeah. to even immediate perception of mm-hmm. that or the jokes or the situation that we can't fully appreciate but I but that made me think if that was so good for me <laughs> without being <laughs> right. steeped into the culture how good is, is, is it, it if you're, if you're and I yeah, know. Yeah, and I'm like, well, I'm ignorant, so I don't know, but I guess it's like really, really, really good. <laughs> really, even, even better, absolutely. <laughs> yeah, and, and one thing about the way, I don't know if we've uh, talked to, uh, about it um, before on the podcast, but um, by when I read American reviews, the Russians one, I think, didn't do that, but I, 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 can't, I can't remember, but the American ones, it was kind of surprising. I think a bunch of them sort of treated the... Uh, the title, Parasites, mm-hmm. and the sort of the implication of that, 
as like they treated the family, the poor family as parasites. I know. Isn't that shocking? Fam- uh-huh. I'm like, wait a second. Um, Can't believe that. Uh, yeah. Wait a second. You're praising this movie as this like smart, mm-hmm. satirical, but also tragic, whatever, all, all these things together, suspenseful film. And then you saying yeah. the poor family parasites. Like, what do you like about it then? What do you get? So yeah. I was kind of surprised by both raving reviews yeah. that at the same time do this kind of, right. I don't know, they go that way. So what, do you notice it, right? What do you think? Oh, yeah. Well, I mean, clearly the title is asking you to, to think about that, but you would think it's asking you to reject that first thought. <laughs> that, that it's the lower class family, that's the parasites on the rich. Yeah. Because the horrible, it turns violent when you really are seeing the attitudes, the way of the way of life of the rich people, the unearned quality of their wealth, the uns, the way they're completely unselfconscious of how, based on what? Who's running their household? How is everything like working? The, it's all yeah, on the backs of the servants. Yeah, when they don't have them for like two days or the uh, you know the maid mm-hmm. like they just can't even maintain yeah, the household function like collapsing so they are they literally need parasitical right. labor so <laughs> it's so at the very least you think you make that jump but I read an even better one they're saying oh, I'm not gonna forget it's Alex something I forget his last name I quoted it in my review for Jagman but he 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 came up with a great reading where he said I think the real parasite is the hope the hope that is drawing the life out of you for of for you know working class people who are trying to make it you always think you're you know it's like the the terrible ending where the son even after all this devastation his family's completely torn apart he still thinks somehow he's going to go to the university which he can't afford get a great job earn a ton of money and buy that rich person's house back because that's what that's the thing that both you have to have to 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 bear it at all, which is hope, but it's the thing that sucks you dry, that kills you, that takes the life out of you. So his argument is that's the parasite. That's the parasite on the working class. And it goes along with your inability to see it's not your fault and you as an individual or as as a family unit, it's not your fault that you're not gonna be able to just make this miracle happen. You know, that you essentially, we are buying, you know, the, 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 what, the idea, the, the first idea that we're the parasites on the, on the, on the world of wealth. We buy that idea and we blame ourselves for not being able to join the wealthy. Um, so we did a really nice nuanced reading of that. And that I felt very intensely. Yes. Like that. Yeah, but at in what a way, point? Then, yeah, but also then the, this reviews I'm sort of complaining about, actually what I'm complaining about, it's almost part of the charm of the film that you can see then how people perceive that, right? So that, it, that the only way we can think of being a parasite is when, you know, when it's the poor, when the rich, the yeah, working when it's class, the poor, or the, when you have uh, to basically employers. offer your labor, yes, offer your labor for some crumbs, yes, and completely not on your terms and all that. So that's that's sort of I guess interesting in its own right to mm. read those reviews and to see how people immediately react. Well, not immediately; it's supposed to be thinking about it, right? When they write, yeah, not an immediate reaction. What am I saying? <laughs> um, but yeah, so uh, okay, but that movie was definitely the, the best of the year, which is almost interesting. I mean, I, I know it's completely different, but the last, the previous year, yeah, it was 2018. The biggest hit of the year was uh, "Sorry to Bother You." Yeah. Which, in a way, kind of 
goes well with <laughs> with parasite. Right, right, right. <laughs> right. So it's, there's clearly some sort of which is interesting because you know, yeah. Sorry <laughs> to bother you. It's a much much messier, less finished, you know, film. It's got yeah. It's his first but, film, it's but not it's like his a first film. filmmaker. You know, but it's, it's super. Still super incredibly High effective. Energy. Yeah. Very mad yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and it's almost like an approach. It's almost like he wants it to be messy. I, I when I wrote about it, I uh-huh. said it's almost like it's that old third cinema thing of saying we don't know how to make the films we need. We need to make to challenge this fucking horrible system. So we're going to have to yeah. experiment here. We're just going to have to go go a little wild and unrehearsed and and just go for it. But it works. And it, it really matter. works. It's I almost think. like I district whatever. Is it mostly mostly it works. Yeah. And uh, so that, that just kind of, I guess, interesting to see there. Yeah, two years in a row. I had, I had remembered yeah. that that was last year. Exactly. Yeah, so that's good. like, even if it's one movie a year, at least it's like, a, you know, in two years, it's two. <laughs> three, I know. Maybe three. <laughs> this is progress <laughs> at, a, at a snail's yeah, but, pace, but nevertheless, that's true. <laughs> yeah, but then like outside of those two years in a row, these two years in a mm-hmm. row, what else was there of that kind? Nothing in the last, I don't know, many, many years, I guess. I mean, yeah, Where, I mean, the, the, you know, Death of Stalin, you know, you, there's... Oh, Death of Stalin was great, yeah. Yeah, but there's then, these few, but they're fairly recent. Yeah. I mean, I think there have certainly been a lot of years where I was just like, I don't know. <laughs> yeah. You know what I was thinking um, recently just about this talented Mr. Ripley mm-hmm. film? Because I uh, was reading, uh, what is it, Hollywood Reporter or somewhere there, trying to turn it into series because the book actually multiple books uh-huh. about the, the Ripley character right. so it might be a series actually written by the um, screenwriter of The Irishman Steve Zalian so mm-hmm. I think he's that, that, anyway that's how I somehow got into reading about it but anyway but speaking of Tell Him Ripley that was a good film and it is um, sort of like a definitely very anti-establishment oh yeah which, it's, you know, there's a very subversive Mm-hmm. <laughs> horror story to, to but that was late 90s so I can't remember when it was made I just was very yeah I think it was like late 90s or something but I was very impressed on the mul- even multiple times that I watched it yeah and you can even go further I mean Anthony Mangella yeah. was, was emphasizing so much the kind mm-hmm. of he added all this stuff about you know, a gay love story that seems to be oh, about about to let Ripley, you know, mm-hmm. he, you know, he really he really did an analysis that it's all about him being closeted gay. That really, mm-hmm. which if you read the books, the books uh, are a little, okay. you know, colder and sicker and angrier, uh-huh. <laughs> and that that's not nearly so clear. It's not there. Uh, uh-huh. Oh no, there's no love interest that has to be killed okay. in the end. None of that. Um, I no. have to read about it. So it's in a way it's more pure, huh? Oh yeah. Highsmith is a take no prisoners <laughs> writer. Um, but it, it, but the class analysis is even mm-hmm. more devastating because of it. It's I great. think. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I guess she really knew what she was writing about. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Even though she so... got, she's an, a horrible person, but she was very, very insightful as a writer. <laughs> well, that's uh, that's that's always that's not always no. Yeah, exactly. Talent don't make you nice, as I always say. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, do you want to mention any movies that you know? There's a bunch that I meant to see and just didn't get to see <sighs> in time. Yeah, everyone's um, well, urging uncut gems on me, and I have not uncut gems. Seen yeah, it. I, I, I don't know. I can't. It I looks, watched the well, good that's time. That's what I thought. It just looks like uh, it's gonna I be so painful. I the previous effort, good time that everyone is like a bank, like bank robbery, like whatever heist, a heist uh, movie, I and uh, heist. I didn't like it. I don't know. It sort of has this like dumped out version of Scorsese, but very much reminds me more yeah. of some kind of Harmony Korine take. I don't know. It's all this like weird, sort of mumbling and like close-ups and sort of shaky camera stuff i don't know how this one it might be different but it sort of tries to be formally mm-hmm. 
kind of very cool. It tries to be formally very cool mm -hmm. and edgy. And I don't know, there's no <laughs> there's no stall in it, at least the previous one, which seems to be very similar to this one in its even theme. Yeah. Uh, so Not I don't know. I, I, I can't do it. I, I know people love it and find it very entertaining, mm -hmm. but I don't know. I just, uh, there's something fake about this type of cool <laughs> they try to, to yeah. convey. I don't know. What do you, do you know about anything about their work? I don't. I don't. Seventy Brothers. I don't. It's just all. I I had totally dismissed. It. I saw same. Th I had the same reaction to the preview. Like, oh no, no way. Yeah. <laughs> and then all of a sudden, you know, my feed was just bursting with people saying, "Uncut Gems is the movie of the year." So I, I don't, don't know. know. I might. I would watch it at home. Okay, I'm not gonna venture out <laughs> and pay for my ticket. All right. Yeah. Yeah. But oh, the movie I wanted to watch. I think I. Um. I mean, I think I wanted to mention. I did watch it, but I walked out of actually out of the movie theater. I think halfway. It's called. Souvenir and it's uh, was I think it was on Obama's list. Let me check real quick. Oh yes, it's on his list, mm -hmm. and it's a very celebrated film. And I think I briefly talked about it. It's made by John Hogg, and it's very much fitting. I forgot to mention it into our episode about like uh, filmmaking as therapy, mm -hmm. because John Hogg is this like British kind of fancy. I don't know, screenwriter, director, filmmaker mm -hmm. at large, who uh, made this film about basically herself as a young. Um, film student mm -hmm. uh, uber privileged and uh, uh, the main character is played by Tilda Swinton's daughter oh right and uh, her, yes. her mother is played by Tilda yes, Swinton yes. so the mother and daughter play about, mother yeah. and daughter yeah and all that and, uh, and then the big drama of this is that this fancy film student uh, falls for um, some sort of like kind of like slightly older diplomat or some guy who is actually secretly a heroin junkie mm -hmm. and he starts kind of somewhat draining money out of her and out of her mom uh, and by the end of it he dies from I don't know overdose and all God. this is dramatized for I don't know like since I walked out but it's definitely over two hours maybe uh. two and a half hours uh. <laughs> and it's like goes on and on and on and on and I'm like God it's one of those things when you were talking about it. is this like the biggest drama to have a semi well i guess it can be some sort of like first semi shitty um lying boyfriend <laughs> that you want to <laughs> you want to like make it into a whole two and a half hour film yeah. story mm. i don't know so that was it but tilda is always nice to she's look always at, good you know? yeah fascinating she's always, always great. fascinating to look at and she yeah, always yeah. plays kind of herself like a fancy old elderly at this point fancy <laughs> lady who is just sort of like talks proper at the dinner and <laughs> asks a few polite questions and it's kind of that <laughs> and the daughter is kind of like that too Huh. Who's like? Yeah, she's actually. Sounds... It's 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 very funny because she plays a filmmaker who wants to sort of like get out of her cocoon, out of her like sort of comfortable upper middle class or even upper class in a no life, and wants to make some kind of movies about real characters and real struggle and blah blah blah. And it's uh, and it's treated without any kind of irony, and it's just kind of painful to watch. Mm -hmm. That's all I can say. That sounds... But anyway, that's that's that movie, and it's on a Barack Obama list as well. Um, yeah. Uh, okay. What do you want to? Because like some of the movies that you actually liked and watch, I haven't even seen. Like Lighthouse. Do you want to like go into? Oh that yeah, I found briefly? that. You know, it's totally mad. It's bonkers. But that alone, that by itself was the most pleasing thing about it. It's totally unique. It's by the guy who did The Witch, which I like very much. Mm -hmm. Um. 
And it's it's quite good for for atmospherics. You can't beat it. It's black and white. It's this desolate tale based on a long ago true story of um, why the rule that in Wales, I gather, after 1830 something, you had to have three lighthouse keepers instead of two is because one killed the other. One went crazy and killed the other during these interminable watches on a rock bound Mm -hmm. coast. Anyway, this is moved to New England. I think it's a New England setting. It's got Robert Pattinson and Willem Dafoe, both semi-unrecognizable. It's just a brilliant job of clothing and makeup to the point that they they really look convincing as 19th century um, lighthouse keepers. And it's about them, yeah, slowly going nuts um, on this on this lighthouse and things getting more and more hallucinatory and surreal as they as they go and violent and crazy and it's just so not like anything that you've seen this year that that alone was welcome but it was hilarious because my sister who has you know pretty conventional taste she would admit it herself insisted on going to this movie with me so she just hated it beyond words and she just cast such appalled eyes at me and was like who wants to see this kind of thing it's all you know it's it's a whole movie about it's apparently dealing seriously with masculinity who cares it's it's actually the best thing about it is is the atmospherics i mean there's there's this wonderful early shot where they're just wait they're watching as the boat that drops them off you know, it goes off into the fog and they're left alone there. And it's really, really beautifully done. But I think it also attests to my utter desperation that that I'm just like, could somebody please do something interesting? <laughs> that that just grabbed me immediately. I was thrilled. I was just thrilled with that alone. And I like period. Um, but yeah, some people are really going to have a hard time with it. It gets very, shall we say, mythological. It starts realizing mythic um what images apparently in the lives of the sailors on this rockbound um, little island, and it has an ending that's highly questionable that I'm not going to tell you in case somebody watches and whatever buy or rent it on um, iTunes mm. or Amazon. So I think I'll, I'll probably try watching it at home. <laughs> yeah, well, it's going to be hard. I mean, you almost—it's almost one of those movies that you have to force yourself. You know, it, it would be too easy to walk away from. It's very slow. It's like you're watching these guys do grueling work for days. You know, they just it's all upkeep of this horrible, (laughs) horrible, wet (laughs) edifice in the middle of nowhere. It's just all backbreaking and grueling. And it's just day by day, night by night. So it's going to be hard if you're not trapped. in. it's one of those you have to be trapped in a theater kind of films. Otherwise, it's too easy to get up and go in the kitchen or do whatever. (laughs) So but it's got a certain power and it's so it is what it is. One hundred and ten percent, which. I've come to admire, you know, I just have to. But, you know, there's one movie that I really wanted to see that was from earlier in the year and that I'd mentioned before was Crawl. And it made it onto Quentin Tarantino, apparently listed it as one of the best films of the year. <laughs> it's produced by uh, the. Um... Oh, Sam Raimi. Yes, that's right. He didn't direct, but he produced. Right. Sam Raimi. Yeah, so, which is probably good enough. Did, so, did you get to see it? I haven't yet. So, I. I... But the preview was so nice. It was really nicely cut that I was just like, God, I, I think that might actually work. And it's got Barry Pepper, and I'm a big fan and of I Barry Pepper. And I bet it's actually suspenseful and all that. Yeah. So, but I then would... when it made it made his list, I was actually like, God, maybe there's something. Maybe I was right. So now I got to see it. I just need some pure, pure genre cinema. I, I feel a little starved for it. Well, I don't know. I kind of can go either way. But is there anything you're waiting to see in 2020 that's been whatever announced? Or- oh, I'm sure there is, and I can't think what. 
I mean, there's other films that I don't even know if they've been released here that I wish I had mm-hmm. had seen or could see. Zhang Yimou has another um, um, kind of martial arts film, period martial arts mm-hmm. film called Shadow. I wanted to see that. Um, there's a new Almodovar, however you say his name, film Pain and Glory that everyone's raving about. Yeah. I don't know. if you Did you see that one? No. I haven't. I, I think literally it don't know. Came up. I don't think it's been around me. I don't know. I don't think it has me either. I'm in this hinterlands now in West. I'm in Buffalo. And it's it's really hard to see a lot of films. That's just, you know, they just don't come here. So that's yeah. that's getting to be a troubling yeah. thing. And I do have to say now that I'm like just a few weeks or less than a month and I moved to L.A., it feels like it's actually harder to see movies really? here than in New York. There are not that many movie theaters that are kind of show something interesting outside of the Star Wars Marvel mm-hmm. Marvel universe and it's yeah it's I think I feel like it's not actually that great for the watchers like I mean it's always an industry city mm-hmm. but New York definitely seems more friendly in that way yeah it just and, seems uh, like there's you're gonna yeah. have a lot of oh, a huge variety of different types of yeah, theaters. Huge variety, yeah. and it's always yeah. around and everyone comes through and they're always like events and q a's and whatever but um but again it's, but at least all the limited releases technically play there they play new york like, LA. Yeah, i think yeah. they probably come out eventually here in some one or two movie theaters yeah oh speaking of the movies i'm waiting you know like uh, paul verhoeven i think finally has a new movie oh, coming what is out it? it was supposed to be come out this year but i think he had a hip operation i was reading so the post-production got postponed it's called um, Benedetta, I think it's about mm-hmm. a, a, a nun in something like 16th or 17th century Italy. I'm already sold. I'm there. Yeah, and it has this old moral, <laughs> some kind of religious, intricate. Damn, I love uh, nun movies. You just don't know. I, love <laughs> I adore. Bunuel has one of the best nun movies. You know, Louise Bunuel had good numbers. Oh, yes. Yes, absolutely. Yes. yes Veridiana. Veridiana, yes. <laughs> yes. That's right. It's really, I, mean, it's I have really to say, good. even though it's so simple, it's still very, who who did anything like that? I like, know. No, no, right? He's, <laughs> no he's a wild man. It's a, that's a good one. <laughs> who knows? Benedetta might have been, not inspired, but who knows? Paul Verhoeven is a wild man too, so I'm really Yes, that's so promising. One. Oh, now I'm glad you mentioned that. That's very exciting. Yeah, so that, it, I think it's going to be pretty uh, sort of uh, risque, probably. <laughs> no, no one would can. guess. <laughs> you know what the nun movie i've never seen still is the devils have you ever seen that one oh, the devils no it's got, it's got what's his face oliver reed is like a you know a satanic mm-hmm. priest who is you know and there's all these corrupted nuns. yes ken russell who normally i hate but this just sounds so good and somehow i've still never seen it so Huh, I have I've never seen it, but I should check out because I love nun movies. Oh as my well. god, we must talk. We should do a nun movie episode. Oh, because like I think Pasolini has a bit to I say about that. that. I mean, I'm just thinking who contributed a bit to that. But yeah, we can we can definitely. There's the nun <laughs> story. There's do. Heaven Knows, Mr. Ellison. There's the Song of Bernadette. There's so many. <laughs> Trouble with Angels. Yeah. I know them. So many of them. the Hollywood ones. I know. <laughs> Yeah, and it's interesting. Yeah, what's the theme of the not anyway? But that's it's a whole different. That's a whole other episode. I'm glad you mentioned this though, because now that's we got We got to do that. We'll do when it comes out. We'll do Verhoeven and Nun movies. That'll be perfect. Yeah, I know that that's that's a good one. We also should do an episode, which I think is somewhat a bit. I mean, a bit tied to that, mm-hmm. to like film directors who actually wanted to be preachers. Oh, that would be ministry. great. Because I know Verhoeven almost wanted. He had some kind of religious wow, class. Really. Bunyol, uh, no, Tetzlans. I, I don't know. I, I have to like we'll now have to look create this up. a list, but there are a bunch of them. Wow. And they were, you know. 
<laughs> and you can kind of tell if you really think without knowing but if you just like think about it what, what it's actually about it seems like even if it's fun and engaging it seems like a bit like a sermon uh-huh. which I respect that and you're like oh alright you wanted to be a minister <laughs> <laughs> wow alright that sounds very promising too <laughs> yeah that's a promising one anyway so uh, I guess that's, that's kind of that I think we're, we're done here. and I want to sort of announce it's uh, in January I most likely will have will have interviews so you'll get a bit yes. some rest from us just yes. chatting we will we're going to do some interviews absolutely all right and so happy new year <laughs> happy new year I hope 2020 is going to be better yeah see you on the other side <laughs> on the other side all right <laughs> okay bye bye